welcome, welcome, welcome to Exposing Truth Ministries, part two of the series, The Evil Around Us. My name is Dee Bowers of Exposing Truth Ministries in Houston, Texas. Our ministry's mission is to expose the truth by exposing the lives of Satan. In our first podcast of this series, we address the spiritual realm and how it affects our lives. In this podcast, I want to expose this creature called Satan and the myths or lies that you have been taught about him. I ask that for this entire series that you not allow pride or doctrine to prevent you from obtaining knowledge that could very well save your life or the lives of your loved ones. When you hear the word Satan, what image comes to your mind? Is it some cartoon character in a red suit with horns and a long tail holding a pitchfork? I would love to ask the person who came up with that image, where in the heck did it come from? To be honest, if I have ever seen the Satan that tempted Jesus, he surely didn't broadcast his name. That's because the goal of Satan is to stay hidden because once exposed and you become aware of his presence, his strategy has to change. Smart people become wiser once they know what they are dealing with. While he is hidden, he can do all kinds of damage to your relationships, your health, mind, and finances, and he can hinder every goal you attempt to accomplish. Satan knows that if you become aware of his presence, you may run to the only person that he is afraid of. That's Jesus. You'll be surprised at the number of Christians that have come to our ministry after seeking help outside of Jesus. Seeing a shaman may bring initial relief, but it does not last long. It will only bring more trauma into your life. Before we expose this spirit... If you don't recall anything about this episode, remember this. Once you have opened the door to Satan, you cannot talk him away or defeat him on your own. He can take your mind, ravage your body, and destroy whatever normalcy you may have in your life. Remember, there is only one person that can help you, and his name is Jesus. Okay, let's jump into these weeds. We have been taught that this Satan was a beautiful creature, an angel that went rogue on God. After hearing this, did you ever ask yourself, hmm, why is it God just don't kill him? I know I did. And not one person could explain to me why God allows him to destroy his people. My goal in this series is to explain what others don't want to talk about, don't understand, or just don't want to deal with. The first thing you need to understand is that Satan is not God's adversary. He is ours. I'm going to repeat that again because people keep saying this. Satan is not God's adversary. When people say this, they can never, ever give me an example in the Bible where Satan came up against God. They quote commentary and conjecture, but never biblical facts. Second, God created Satan exactly as he is, with a plan and with a purpose. And third, Satan never went rogue against God. That's pretty much 
contradicts the false doctrine that has been passed on for centuries. Satan is a servant of the Lord, loves what he does, and he does his job very well. I can't imagine anyone not hearing the name Satan. But not all people agree on who he is, his goals, or his purpose. He is a powerful, invisible entity that roams from heaven to earth looking for someone to devour. But let's think about this. Just who is he after? Keep in mind, he is the God of this world. There are those that already follow him, and there are those that God has already given over to a retrobate mind. He's not really interested in them because he already has them. Don't get me wrong. He also torments non-believers, but not with the same conviction and purpose. It is those that God has chosen or those that want eternal life that he tempts. We are told that the road to heaven is narrow and only a few will ever get through it. There is a reason for that, and that is salvation. Salvation is only found in Jesus and not Satan. That narrow gate leads to a hard, difficult life where sin is purged, faith is increased, and separation from the world is necessary. This is not easy for most people. Therefore, not many will walk through that narrow gate. But Jesus did say there is a wide gate that leads to destruction that many will travel through. For Satan and his army, it has, become, it has become a competition to see who will win the battle. Will it be man or will it be Satan? He has told me many times during ministry with individuals that we, the ministry, will not win. And speaks with much conviction. His power is limited, but he has a following of millions of very loyal spirits organized like an army. His soldiers fear Jesus and know that Jesus is in control, but they also fear Satan, whom they worship and admire. Unbelief only adds to his pool of victims. He has blinded the eyes of unbelievers, making them vulnerable and easy targets. Some people live all their lives being tormented and not know or believe the source of their problems. I know what some of you are thinking. Why did God create such an evil thing? Before we address that question, let's remember what we know about God. Going back to Genesis, God said that after his creations of the six days, all was good. Satan was created before the sixth day because the spiritual realm came before the creation of man. Second, we know God is love and there is no evil in him. And third, we know God is not a man that he would lie. So with that being said, did God make a mistake and not know Satan would be evil? Was Satan an experiment that somehow turned into a disaster? Or was God powerless to fix his mistakes? Hold on. Let's look at three more facts we are taught in the Bible about God. God is omnipresent meaning he is everywhere at all times. God is omnipotent, meaning he is powerful and no other power is greater, and that includes Satan. If you had creation abilities, would you create something more powerful than yourself? Number three, 
God is omniscience, knowing all past, present, and future. He knows the beginning and the end. So if we listen to those that say something went wrong when God created Satan, what are we really saying? That this omnipresent, omnipotent God that knows everything made something that not only malfunctioned, but turned into a diabolical creature that has been wreaking havoc all over the world since creation. Come on, folks, let's stop listening to people and read the word of God for ourselves. I'm going to take this to another level. Are we supposed to believe that after God created mankind, he did not know Adam and Eve would listen to Satan and choose to be disobedient? Of course he did. He is sovereign, which means he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and whatever he desires. Satan was created to do exactly what he is doing, and when God is through with him, he will get rid of him. I always equate sin with Satan. Satan will tempt you and then punish you for it. But remember, all sin has consequences. If you take the bait, there will be consequences. God tells us for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. God wants us to have eternal life with him. If there were no consequences, we would not turn away from our sin. Think about it. As a child, how were you corrected when you did something wrong? Did you believe your parents did not love you just because of the correction? Did you believe that you should be rewarded for being disobedient? For me, I was always punished for my disobedience. Did I learn from my punishment? Yes, I did. But I will admit, the easier the punishment, the easier it was to repeat the disobedience. Bottom line, sin feels too good. And God has something to help with our corrections. He uses Satan to prune us, test us, and make us run towards him. As long as we sin, we are walking away from the Lord. And that's not what he wants. He wants a relationship with us. He created us for relationship. But that relationship cannot exist as long as sin controls our lives. God is holy and he is the creator. If he decided he did not want heaven to be full of sin, we have no choice but to accept that. If he decided to correct those that he loved, can we change that? No, we all belong to him, even those that reject him. It is his creation, his decision, and his choice. One interesting fact is a lot of people really do want to know God. And many believe that they do. Some of us have been in church all our lives and do not understand who he is. We blame God for our own mistakes and get upset when he does not remove Satan or adversity from our lives. To be honest, one of the main reasons we don't know God is because we have been programmed to believe false doctrine or to accept half-truths. I want to give you a major half-truth, and that is spoken in many churches, that God is love. Yes. That is true, but God is also wrath. 
has no problem releasing his wrath. Anyone that has ever read the Old Testament will agree. Many churches barely speak about the Old Testament because they want to keep the pews filled and the money flowing. You know, it's okay to talk about people like David and Joshua, courageous men of the Old Testament, but not about sin. Because the discussion on sin will force you to look at yourself. And people really don't want to be told or reminded that they need to change their lives. People don't want to hear the truth. They go to church for two hours, get all pumped up about how great they are and how much God loves them, only to leave the building in the same condition they arrived in. If we are not taught about sin and its consequences, we walk around all pious with this huge target on our foreheads. You know, feeling pious and wonderfully loved does not stop the attacks from the spiritual realm. Believe me, Satan will not miss. His harassment and torment may start out slowly because he is cunning and he's methodical, but he will not leave on his own once you have let him in. I was told a story about how a church hired a new pastor. And after the pastor's first sermon, the deacons told him that he could not stay as pastor if he continued with those types of sermons. See, the pastor's first sermon was about the sin of fornication. Most of the church and many of the deacons were shacking up in ungodly relationships. Guess what? That pastor never preached on sin again. We had a young lady that attended our Bible studies, and she wanted me to pray about a problem she was having with her live-in boyfriend. I informed her that my prayer may not be what she wanted to hear because God may not honor what she wants. He may very well turn his back on that relationship. She asked why, and I told her that she was living in sin. And I said, why would God bless sin when he hates it? She looked at me surprised and said, I did not know that living together unmarried was a sin. Everybody does it. I told her it is called fornication. And just because everybody is doing it doesn't make it right in God's eyes. She told me something that I was not surprised to hear. She said that she had been going to church most of her life and not one pastor ever talked about fornication being a sin. Satan has many names that people have given him. He's called the devil, Lucifer, the evil one, even Beelzebub. But he is never ever directly called an angel in the Bible. People have interpreted text to be speaking of him and just assume that he is an angel. The Lord tells us in John 8 that Satan was a murderer from the very beginning. We know that angels were created in the beginning before mankind as good spirits to serve mankind and to serve God. So my question to those who have elevated Satan, we have very little information about him. So why? Are you dismissing what God has spoken? God said he was evil from the very beginning. It's like when a person shows you who they are, believe them. Same here. God says he was a murderer from the beginning. Believe God. 
Stop making up doctrine to circumvent the fact that God created him just the way he is. Evil. Although we are told during end times, Satan will be locked up. Two misinterpreted scriptures have caused many people to believe Jesus got rid of Satan. One of the scriptures is in Hebrews. And paraphrase, it says, Through the death of Jesus, Satan was made powerless so those that feared death could be free. Yes, Jesus rendered Satan powerless. But that does not mean that Satan is dead, nor that it does it mean he is truly powerless. What Jesus did was to provide a way for us to have eternal life. With Satan, he had the power of death over us. We were doomed to die. A spiritual death. When Jesus died for us, he made a way for those that believe in him to escape the fate of sin. And Satan has no power of death over us. The other scripture is in the gospel of John and it says, Jesus takes away the sin of the world. When I hear comments like, Jesus took our sin, we don't have any sin. I asked, do you sin? Of course, the answer is silence. Jesus did not destroy our propensity to sin, nor did he remove sin from the world. What he takes away is the dominion and control that Satan has over us. We still have our sin nature, but it does not have to control us unless we want it to. Jesus didn't take sin away, nor did he destroy Satan. He took the punishment of our sin when he was beaten and died on the cross. You know, most false doctrine is created because people don't want to live the truth, don't want to accept the truth. They just want to deny the truth. Let's talk about some well-known doctrine and myths about Satan. I love these myths because after the discussion, I always hear, well, the scripture could be about Satan. And my response is, coulda, woulda, shoulda, does not make it truth. I stated in the beginning of this series that if you were expecting what you have heard in Sunday school or heard in a Bible story, you may be greatly disappointed. My job is to expose the truth and many people will reject it because I may not repeat or agree with well-known pastors or I may bring up scripture that very well contradict what they believe or what they have heard. I have had ministers get upset with me because I teach the truth from the word of God and not from some other pastor's pulpit. I decided When I became a deliverance minister, my job would be to learn everything that God has given us in his word about Satan and his kingdom. There are two passages in question that have been espoused to Satan, even though God clearly states he is talking about a man and not a spirit. Satan's name is not even mentioned in these passages. I would like to emphasize how many times the name of Satan is used in the Bible. Over 80 times, God did not spare his identity. So if these passages are truly about Satan, why is Satan's name excluded? These passages in the Bible are used to support the doctrine 
that Satan fell from heaven because of pride and he wanted to be like God. Bible students decided that Ezekiel 28's text sound like it could be Satan. There was no scriptural basis for their belief other than that it's, other than that it sound like Satan and not a man. The other passage is in Isaiah 14 and it's only a problem in the King James Version which was a mistranslation and later corrected in all Bible versions after King James. This can be a heated topic because some people do not want to let go of what they have been taught, whether it is the truth or not. With the mistranslation in King James Version, it is easily identified by going back to the Hebrew and following it forward. But people who went to seminary many years ago, and these seminaries only use King James Version, may still teach the mistranslation. I was teaching Bible study on Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, and one of the ministers in my study, who only reads King James Version, disagreed with me and asked why I would teach something different than what people believe. He was very disturbed that I contradicted what he taught, and he left our study and never returned. The doctrine created from Ezekiel 28 has created an image of Satan not supported anywhere in the Bible. This is dangerous because Satan is idolized and elevated to be God's adversary. And clearly this is not true. There is nowhere in the Bible where Satan approaches God in an adversary manner. If God is sovereign, how could we have any adversaries against God? My goal is not to teach one how to read the Bible in this podcast, but I suggest those of you that cannot entertain the thought that you have been carrying around lies, spend some time in the Bible and read a few commentaries, not just one, on these passages. I want to take a moment to explain the language that is used in Isaiah and Ezekiel. The Bible is full of hyperbole, which is an exaggeration. It's full of symbolism and poetry. I'm sure that is one of the reasons why this false doctrine has been created. Ezekiel and Isaiah both have lamentations, which is an expression of grief, sorrow, disappointment, or mourning. These lamentations were used to express human suffering and the, uh, God's divine kingship. Nearly every Prophetic book includes a lamentation, which must be read as such. Now let's review the passages. Let's try Ezekiel first. Ezekiel was a prophet who was called the prophet of visions because he wrote imagery texts based on his visions. He had many lamentations in his book. Many have espoused Ezekiel 28 to be about Satan, making him out to be this colorful, majestic creature that was beautiful and turned evil because he wanted to be like God. The context of this passage is set in verse 1, and it is Ezekiel prophesizing about the king of Tyre. This is the plain meaning of this verse, and we have no other scriptures that would indicate that we should take this passage in any other direction or in any other way. Bible students have taken this passage and concluded that it must be about Satan because of the language that is used. No thought was given to the fact that it is a lamentation with visual imagery. 
None of our Bible, famous Bible commentators like Matthew Henry go as far to say this passage is about Satan. They say only that Bible students want to believe that it is. What Matthew Henry says is, this is commonly understood to be the prince who reigned over Tyre. Although many teachers have suggested that besides the literal sense of this lamentation, there is an indirect presentation or storytelling to it. And that it is an allusion to the fall of angels that sin who undid themselves by their pride. There is a lot of conjecture surrounding this passage, and it has led to many unscriptural beliefs. Let's look at a few. Here's one. Satan was created a cherub angel. First of all, not one scripture in the Bible calls Satan an angel. We see texts that refer to Satan and his angels during end times in the book of Revelation. In the book of Job, Satan joined the angels before God, but he is never called an angel. When God created angels, he gave them rank and assignments. Cherub angels were created for protection and are described with four faces and four wings. If Satan is a cherub, why is he described as a dragon, the serpent of old, also known as the devil? When God created angels, they were holy and pure, but were also given free will. The speculation is that Satan was created a good angel, a cherub, based on the language in this passage, before the creation of man, and then later he turned evil. But how does that explain him being called a serpent instead of a cherub? The passage says that King Tyre was like the anointed cherub. He walked in the mountain of God and in the midst of the stones of fire. This is all figurative language describing a relationship with God that was approved. Because of the belief that Satan is a cherub, people concluded that he played musical instruments in the heavenlies. The first time I heard a pastor say this was on a Facebook live session. I asked, where is this coming from? There is nothing in scripture that even speaks about music nor instruments relating to Satan. I've heard ministers preach, preach this false doctrine as if factual. Guys, the entire passage in Ezekiel is actually about the king of Tyre, a man that God was going to take down. See, God had blessed him, put him on a pedestal, and now God was going to destroy him because he had turned to sin. God told him that he was a man and not a God. The Bible says that King Tyre had enriched the kings of the earth with his luxury goods. This figurative language that Ezekiel uses describes the great blessings that were once shed upon this king's dynasty. These blessings were comparable to Eaton, God's Eaton, and his merchandise. God tells the king, not Satan, that he will kill him and he will be returned to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all to see him. Really, that does not sound like something that God would have told Satan since he is a spirit. You know, reality check. Spirits don't die, first of all. And second, we're told in Re Revelation 20, the devil who deceived them all will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. 
Guys, Satan is alive and well in the spiritual realm and will not be bound until his time has come. Why is it we ignore scripture to validate or accept false doctrine by zealous people or people that need to be seen as knowledgeable? Another myth from Ezekiel is that Satan was beautiful and walked around wearing precious stones. Well, the king, whom the passage is actually talking about, had jewels waiting for him the day he made king. While this passage does not say Satan was prideful, this passage is used to prove the doctrine that Satan was prideful and wanted to be like God. That is why he supposedly was kicked out of heaven. Ezekiel says that the king was perfect in his ways, but then he started to choose wickedness over righteousness and lost his good relationship with God. This was due both to sinful commerce and the pride on the part of the king. God decided he would no longer have a relationship with the king and cast him out of the mountain and destroyed him so that he could no longer approach God. There is also additional language describing the pride of the king in verse 17. In verses 18 and 19, we have the final promise of destruction from God to the king. You can listen and accept or listen and reject. But I believe the best explanation as to why people want to believe that this is about Satan is in the believer's Bible commentary. It says, the description of the king as the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, as having been in Eden, the garden of Eden, has, as having every precious stone as a covering, as being an anointed cherub, and as having been on the holy mountain of God, taken together seem too impressive for any ruler, even allowing for the great use of hyperbole and literary exaggeration. For this reason, many Bible students have decided to use this scripture to describe Satan's fall from heaven. I have spent years watching the behavior of Satan and his army. And when I think about this doctrine that Satan fell because he wanted to be like God, I can't help but laugh. So chew on this, okay? Satan has millions of spirits that worship him and millions of humans that worship and follow him. Many times we fail God when life becomes challenging. But demons, they don't care about themselves. They will not disappoint Satan. So other than God's power, which Satan was not created with, what is it that Satan wants to take from God? He already has God's people. Okay, let's examine the other passage in Isaiah where people claim is about Satan's fall from heaven. Before we get into the weeds, I want to point out that Old Testament speaks of Satan's access to heaven and his access to earth. Satan has access to heaven and he has never lost it. Scripture speaks of his access to God and meetings in the court of heaven. So where did this doctrine start that he has already fallen from heaven? Again, as in Ezekiel, 
we have the situation in Isaiah 14 where God is speaking about another king, King Ebuchadnezzar of Babylon. In this passage, the king is told he will be cut to the ground because of his pride and how he wanted to be like God. Before we start, I would like everyone to understand that when one language is translated to another, sometimes the right word cannot be used because English may not have a word that equates. Stay with me because this becomes a little bizarre and I don't want to lose you. This passage starts out with the scripture. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? This passage is about the fall from grace of a king. The hyperbole heaven is used instead of the word grace. This is not a fall from heaven above. But because the name Lucifer was used instead of Satan, people have assumed that Lucifer is a name for Satan before he fell from heaven. Why was this false interpretation so easy to believe? We have two reasons. This error commenced when the Hebrew Bible was translated to Latin. The Hebrew Bible used a term, Helyel, which means morning star, to describe King Ebuchadnezzar. When they tried to translate the Hebrew to Latin, they could not find a word to represent Helyel. So in Latin, they found a word that they decided to use and the word was shine, which in Latin is Luciferno. So therefore, if they were trying to use a proper name for king of the king of Babylon, that name in Latin would be Lucifer. This had nothing to do with Satan. Nothing at all. But if this term is to be used as an adjective, the king would be called a morning star. The decision to equate the name Lucifer to Satan was done by the church fathers and by St. Jerome, who translated the Latin Bible Vulgate to the King James Version, the English King James Version. It was during that time that there was this play or poem called Milton in Paradise Lost, and it was written by a 17th century English poet named John Milton. This poem was about a biblical story of the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve by a fallen angel named Satan and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Milton applied the name Lucifer to the demons of sinful pride. Lucifer is also the title and principal character of an epic poem by Shakespeare. Because the play became so popular, the name Lucifer ended up in the King James Bible as it was translated from the Latin Vulgate Bible. Today, if you look at all the different authentic translations of the Bible, King James is the only Bible that uses the name Lucifer. Newer translations of the Bible corrected the error and called the king a morning star. But still, people continue to spread this false doctrine. 
For those that believe that Satan truly exists or that he did exist at one time, there has always been a desire to know more about him. If you read Ezekiel and Isaiah again without applying all the false doctrine you were taught, you will realize that Ezekiel was a poet who wrote in imagery language and Isaiah 14 was a mistranslation. So what do we really know about Satan? Well, all the speculation about his beginnings is not going to set us free. We may not be satisfied with what God has shared about him, but I believe he has shared all that is necessary. As we move forward in the series, we will learn more about Satan's purpose, his strategy, and how to win our battles and claim victory. If you would like to receive teachings, emails, and notifications, subscribe, like us, or go to our website at www.exposingtruth.org. We also ask you to support this ministry so that we continue, so that we can continue to teach the truth by exposing the lies of Satan. Stay awake and, and stay informed. And again, keep us alive through your support. This is D, Pastor D from Exposing Truth.